This week on Kettle of Fish, author and engineer Christopher Hoffman stops by to talk about getting his heart in gear. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, models, and even astronauts about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Cat Saurus, broadcasting to you as always from Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my innovative, inspiring, super conductive producer, the perfectly balanced, shining ball baron to my dilapidated old Rube Goldberg machine, the fabulous D. That's cute. I'm a shiny ball bearing. I like it. You are. You're my, who's my little shiny ball bearing? <laughs> That's cute. Uh, yeah, it is a day. It is a dreary, dingy day out here. Uh, on Meth Mountain, of course, and it's been that After way. After being in the mid seventies last know. week, it was such a past tease. Week. It, it, was it went so from nice. mid seventies to mid thirties in about six hours. Yeah, but I got good news for all the listeners: there's no such thing as climate change, so we're going right. to be okay. It'll be just fine. Um, yeah, we we started out all nice last week, and it was super cool and. Now it's like, okay, well, maybe we'll have a snow day tomorrow, and then it won't be so bad. Who knows? Who knows? We have a new creek in the backyard and a nice creek forming in our driveway. So, you know, things could be worse. <laughs> yes. Indeed. So All right. Um, do you want to make some announcements, or do we want to get Fern in here first? Um, yeah, I'll go ahead. Uh, so we have got a super new podcast on tincan.media. That's super easy. Just go to your address bar, type in tincan.media, hit enter, poof, there you are. Uh, we have got Cat Alvarado's new podcast, Villains of History. And so far, from what I've heard, it sounds pretty darn interesting. Um, I listened to an episode this morning, actually, while I was working and drinking my coffee. Good. Yeah, she explores some actual baddies throughout history that really existed, and it's it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Uh, we've also got another podcast that will soon be joining our ranks. We will uh, be announcing that very, very soon. Um, and coming up in the next few weeks on Musical Osmosis, we're going to have Emanuela Hutter from Hillbilly Moon Explosion and Lyle Blackburn. That's one of those names you're going to have to make me say like 600 I times know. before the episode. That's all right. We're also going to have Lyle Blackburn from Ghoul Town um, and then Egg Drop Soup and Kudzu Wish. Um, and then on Kettle of Fish coming up, we are going to have uh, next Brad Norman uh, with the new Bullwinkle series on Amazon. I'm kind of a little excited to see that because... Well, um, it's on know. the second season, so I mean, he's got a whole first season under his belt. He's the writer, creator, oh, well, and... shit. Amateur. I just need to binge that late. I'm going to binge that this week. Yeah, because... that's all we'll be falling asleep watching every night. Yes, because, to the show. you know, I mean, Bullwinkle, come on. I watched a couple episodes. It's really good. I can't wait. Uh, We're also going to have Mary Birdsong coming up uh, in mid-March and comedian Nicole Birch coming up. Um, And if somehow you're like, "Ah, Mary Birdsong, that sounds sounds familiar. That's because she was on Reno 911. 
So yes, you know who that is. Um, and of course, if you want to go back and check out any of our previous episodes, not just on tincan.media, you can also look for us on castbox.fm and just iTunes and soon to be everywhere in your brains. We're going to implant little chips in your mind and you will be oh uh, let's let's canners. not start any fucking internet rumors <laughs> we don't want the alt-right subreddits going insane hey any publicity is good publicity right no you know what i got into a discussion with somebody that the other day i said that used to be the thing up until about five be. years ago yeah. now there is actually bad publicity there's like one bad tweet Fucking That's torpedoes true. your career. Now it's so like, there he is. In Look this what happened climate? to James Dunn. Yeah. They dug up a tweet from like seven years ago, and they kicked him off Guardian of the Galaxy 3. Which is insane and to me. Like come a billion-dollar project. It's like, come on. Can can we just be grown-ups for five minutes? It'll be fine. Yeah, like, there's bad publicity now for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's get our co-host in here. And a girl who has been spinning... Her gears of tragedy inside her gears of perseverance, surrounded by a lovely optimistic core, fueled by cheap alcohol, back from the wilderness, Fern, the moist-voiced heart. Wow, that was great. I loved it. That is great. I normally have some cheeky, like, something that I'm planning on saying, but today I I have nothing. But I I think you actually hit the nail on the head with that. Um, gears within is, gears uh, within gears. Dude, it's staying positive. It's all about a mindset of conceptualizing your happiness and just making it happen and pushing the negative out. And it's not easy, but it's totally doable. And you will find yourself so much happier when you do. However, How much on of the point, vision board is brands of alcohol. I, uh, <laughs> that's not my vision board. Actually, that has a door and it's in my garage. I just open it and it's right there. It's really, um, tangible for me. <laughs> I just keep it. I in the thought fridge. maybe exotic alcohols that you just want to like spontaneously show up in your fridge one day. Um, I, I would love to try some true Uzo one day just because I've heard about it. I've never Been had there, it. I that. think it would be cool. Um, but, I'm uh, Greek, I wanna, so, you know, I've had the Uzo. And it was not a good I, experience. I, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking my trusty Mick Ultra like I was uh, from the uh, West Bath Dungeon. So I'm trying to do the low-carb thing, starting the diet tomorrow. But um, I did want to touch on something real quick that you said about uh, bad publicity and how it used to be that any publicity was good publicity. But I think if you really want an example of how bad publicity is actual bad publicity, you can really take Ralph Northam and the Democratic Party right now, like in Virginia. Our whole Richmond is completely under fire between Northam, our lieutenant governor, and our AG. So I don't think bad publicity is good publicity in that case. I think uh, you can pretty much say our whole, our whole government right now in Virginia is like totally fucked. Indeed, but I'm not even talking about real scandals. Like that's something that's really rocking um, your government right now, your state government. I'm just talking about you know a 240 character tweet that just destroys a 30 year career. I mean, look at Gillette. They they came out with a commercial that just kind of wanted men to you know just behave themselves and be aware of their behavior and all of a sudden they're under fire that wasn't even bad publicity oh, i thought that me. was a good thing you know 
for every belligerent fucking redneck asshole that got his little man feelings hurt by that commercial, 10 women went out and bought 20 packs of Gillette. Gillette knew what they were doing. They have marketing <laughs> yes. strategies and, and cost And women are the analysis. shoppers. Come on now. That, Who do you think um, buys those Gillettes for those guys? that they weren't going to lose more business than they were going to gain. Don't feel sorry for Gillette. They knew what they were doing. Exactly. Oh, no, no, I don't feel sorry for them. And as a woman, I will say that men's razors work better than women's razors anyway. I, I would much prefer a man's razor than a woman's razor. They you just, know why? They just seem to work better. It's the pink tax, man. It happens all the time. We have mm. a pink tax that we have to pay for freaking everything. Men's socks stand up longer. Men's jeans wear better. Men's, uh, uh, I mean, anything. Like if Yeah, but women had a lot better. more choices in the workplace. I think this is changing. Like, my work finally went to just casual jeans and a regular shirt maybe a year ago. But up until a couple years ago... Um, women had a lot more options of what they could wear in a professional environment. Men had to wear a fucking like slacks button up shirt and a tie and women had a full gamut. Guys didn't know how to judge it. Guys didn't know, is that skirt professional? I don't like, cause they were the ones usually in HR writing the rules for this shit. You know what? I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If, if dude wants to show up in a skirt and thigh high stockings and high heels at work, he should be able to do that. Just like my neighbor who has a ton of back hair can mow his grass with his shirt off, so should I be able to. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that it's all things equal. Yeah, man. I think you would be more appealing to watch Dan, your neighbor with a back uh, hair. Probably. Yes. Hair. Probably. But, and, and I would feel a lot more liberated, too. I mean, I shaved my head just for that purpose one year, just because, uh, and it was liberating. I highly recommend it, ladies. Highly recommend it. I'm not going to be responsible for any flack, but... It's a good Don't feeling. Don't listen shave to her, Dee. She's the devil. Don't listen I to her. I won't shave my... <laughs> what did I say? I am not cutting my hair short again. No, Ever. you didn't say that. You said in about 10 years. Okay, I said maybe in about 10 years. I, you're right. You're right. So this let's stay on point time. here. All right, let's get today's guest in here. Today's guest is author of, oh my God, I got to talk about this book, this compelling book, Heart in Gear, an engineer's erotic journey to freedom. He's an engineer, an inventor, a philosopher. He's from the punk world and an all-around great guy, Mr. Christopher Hoffman. Chris, what is up? Nick, hey, I don't know if I can compete with Meth Mountain, but I'm out here in Portland where there's a strip joint and and a you know uh, what a pot dispensary in every corner. And the reason the reason that is is because in the Constitution there's literally a line that says free expression no matter what. So everything is legal no matter what you do on stage. If it's free expression, you can do it. It's awesome. Right on. That sounds like a place I need to be. I haven't mm-hmm. been to Portland in about twenty years. Yeah, it's great. It's a free for all. But, but I know um, they do a lot of filming there. They used to film Grimm up there. We had actor friends who moved up there just for the work. So I know it's a really cultural place. Yeah, like you know, the, the craft truck, like right around the corner, everywhere you go, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, here is is sad culturally. So you've already won. Here it's like burning <laughs> meth labs behind churches. There are, so I'm there not are saying three meth things. Well, what happened in the moonshine, man? Moonshine, no. moonshine tastes like hell. Um, there are three things oh. to do here. It's church, meth, and football, and we're really not huge fans of any of those, so we're kind of screwed. Just yeah, so UT know. football and meth, that's all there is. All right, well, let's jump in here. Um, I want to thank you first for calling in. I've been spending the last couple of weeks kind of back and forth with you on Facebook, on the old Facebook, messaging each other, and it was cool to see how much we had in common. And Dude. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Chris. 
No, I said, like, go ahead. I mean, like we do. I was, I was surprised. I was having a little, like a, a little, uh, a bro crush or something going on. Yeah. Like, um, putting a little fire together, like the internet fire and tribally dancing around it. As we nice. talk about our glory days in the <laughs> punk world. Dude. Yeah. Our, our Al Bundy moments. But anyways, um, and I know this is kind of cliche, but in this heated, divided, toxic environment this country's in, and you being a man of philosophy, a guy who's about expanding his horizons, the question's kind of cliche, but I think it's very um, very apropos for what we're going through right now. Do you think people in your journeys, do you find people have more in common and are willing to admit? Or are we getting, like, sometimes I feel like there's two types of people, right? There's the people who see Star Trek. And they go, that's a kind of homogenous, um, you know, no currency. Everybody reaches their own potential future I want. And then there's a different group that sees Walking Dead. And they're like, yeah, whoever has the biggest gun wins. And I just kill a motherfucker anytime I disagree. And I feel like we're having an almost an evolutionary split because there's so many people that just walk around pissed off all the time. And they just seem to just want to just engage in hateful rhetoric and just be on the attack all the time are we more do i have more in common with a trump dude than i think or are we kind of divergent evolution wise do you feel like i i think it all starts pretty early in in you know i mean like you know elementary school we we make a choice um and the choice we make is do you want to take your position in the dominance hierarchy where you you know uh, fear those above and marginalize those below, and then repeat the same dogma, to, you know, so you feel secure and everybody high fives each other, or you know, do you want to actually walk a path that has to do with being transparent, you know, accumulating real honor from integrity, uh, you, right know, on, just, yeah. you know, some sort of leadership, uh, you know, and that and that's kind of a solo journey. You know, it's it's, it's a journey to discover oneself first as a rebellion, you know, against the patriarchy. Yeah, but there would be a lot of guys that would hear you say it and go, that sounds like socialist snowflake talk. So that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Like, do I have a lot in common with those kind of cats? And they're just like well, you, so wrapped up in their anger that they can't show it? Or are they fundamentally well, different? You know, I, I love the way you framed that up because I think it's, we're surprisingly the same. And what we are, was they're all being, we're all being fed a certain con. And the, and the con that the, the dudes that, you know, are, you know, shoot them up and just kind of replaying the same dogma, the con they're being fed is that, you know, they don't get to be emotional. You know, they don't get to have, you know, a feeling that feels connected. So they replace that, you know, that feeling of feeling connected with the accumulation of power. And the accumulation right. of power is like sort of this bully energy. It's sort of like, I'm going to be right because I'm looking forward to the, the satisfaction of winning. So there's this coding into competitiveness and the, and the, the slow, you know, drip of like winning that hooks. You mean hashtag winning. Yeah. You know, totally. And so there's this focus on winning and being, you know, uh, you know, repeating the same stuff that, that, that they don't understand that they're totally, you know, sucking it down hook, line, sinker. They well, don't Fern, realize what they're being said. Let me throw this over to Fern because me and Fern have many, um, I, I, I want to say conversations, but they're more like counseling sessions where she right. talks me <laughs> down off the wall. Like, I just don't get what? What? Like, uh, Hillary's running child sex slaves to a pizza hut or a pizza shop in D.C.? What um, What do you think? It's about a running this? tab that you'll get in the mail. <laughs> right. Yeah, my mailbox isn't big. And I have a little P.O. box. I can't fit your bill. 
Yeah, so what you're saying is, is like, how do these people continue to replay this stuff and believe that it has value or it matters? It's just a dog whistling, you know, signal to everybody else around them that we're all part of the same privileged group. That's all it is. Well, I was telling Fern, and I've told Dee this too, during uh, Mariana's wedding, I got really pissed off. We were we were running really short on time. The hotel kind of screwed us. Then I locked myself out of the car in the rain, and I had to wait for AAA while it was running. And I had to wait for AAA to show up, unlock it. Then we had to take an Uber because we missed the shuttle to the wedding. And we missed the wedding. We got there right as it was ending, going into the reception. And I threw Bummer. a fucking fit. I went ballistic. Right. And as we were in the Uber, I was falling asleep. And I'm, it wasn't from lack of sleep. I'd had a solid eight hours. And we got out of the car. And I was like, how did these hateful pricks do it? I had one temper tantrum. And I'm all tuckered out. I'm exhausted. How do these guys stay per- perpetually pissed off all the time? It's such a drain of energy. Well, it's it's a it's a better drain of energy than the anxiety, you know, of feeling isolated. And so, you know, without that playing, you know, the dog whistling sound to the people around you, like there's this fear that nobody's going to share their Cheerios with me when the apocalypse comes. <laughs> Fern, um, there's a lot of truth in this, right? Oh, there's like a ton, and actually, I have so many thoughts spinning around in my head just from this short conversation that I'm going to try to get into something, something cohesive. Um, you know, I thoroughly agree that it all starts at childhood. It's something I've said for a very long time. It all comes down to base instincts and learned behavior from your childhood. Now, some people grow out of that and understand that those fears that they learned as vulnerable children, where they were having to be protected, they could not fend for themselves. Um, showing that vulnerability was seen as weakness, perceived as weakness, and people would capitalize on that in order to win, like you said, Christopher. Um, But the other thing, too, is we're also taught rules, right and wrong. You know, you have to take a test, and you either get the answer right or you get it wrong. You get good grades or you get bad. You follow the rules or you don't, and there are rewards and consequences to that. So people internalize that and apply that to their emotions and their personal growth, and they tend to stuff things down, stuff things inside, and think about what the society might want from them, what the society expects for them versus what makes them happy and being their true self. So people who stuff that true self down and continue to hide behind what the expectations are typically become a lot more angry because they don't feel like they can freely express themselves. They feel like they're living a lie or a double life or, you know, something that they don't necessarily want to make them happy. So then they project onto others because they're so unhappy with themselves. And I don't know if I made that cohesive or not, but that's kind of where my brain is. Well, it's easier to punch down than to punch up, right, Chris? Yeah, well, you know, what I was going to say is, is if you want to bake that all into one little line, you know, the way I define shame is a demand for conformity with a threat of disconnection. Wow. Right. So So the test that you're talking about, the test that you're talking about, you know, like, okay, here's this question. A or B, you know, like, uh, I'm trying, uh, let me think, what, what answer do you want me to say? You know, but really the question should be, how do I pose a, a question and then let the answer tell me more about who you are? Let the answer actually allow 
you to reveal yourself to me without the question needing to be A or B. It's your perspective that, you know, that, that kind of drifted towards A that tells me something about who you are. Like, oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Like, so tell me more about the A choice. What, where did that come from? You know, now we're into a conversation. Yeah, but it's hard to do when the old rule book is thrown out the window, right? We're in a place where all news, like there's a there's a group of people where all news they don't agree with is fake news. All elections they don't win is rigged. Every time someone from their, I'm doing air quotes here, tribe sure. does something horrific, like shoots a place up, they're a liberal crisis actor. Every time Trump gets caught doing something shady, it's a deep state conspiracy it's so hard. I mean, I used to run a political panel show, me and Fern and and another person who was very far right, and it got so toxic we just couldn't do it anymore because it got to a place where we weren't even speaking the same language. I can't have right. a talk with somebody about, hey, how do we make sure schools don't get shot up with somebody who goes, schools have never been shot up. They've all been crisis actors and red flags. So there's, I don't know right. where the space is to have that conversation after that. Well, you can't because there's no opening. And that and that's the tragedy. I mean, I spend a lot of time, you know, ending a conversation like immediately once I realize somebody doesn't want to have a conversation. I just give it silence. You know, like I, but you know, then I we're not talking so to each other these days. Well, we don't have to talk to each other. But that's you know, just as bad, can, right? Because then we become strangers to each other and it just perpetuates the already growing divide. I, I disagree. I think I think the people who understand what silence is, I think, under you know, people that understand how to you know, create pristine, like peace and harmony inside my own inner landscape. So I can listen for the thing that I should be doing next, which actually helps everybody. You know, let's, let's foster that mindset in more people one at a time than trying to fight this battle against the people who are terrified, you know, to be out among, you know, the, the, the masses. Wow. Fern, it's like I always tell you, and I, I could throw Chris into this um, category now, too. You guys are just better people to me. <laughs> That's well, all there is to you it, know, because I'm just like, screw these pricks. You know, my, oh. constant, my constant struggle is deciding whether there is room to plant a seed or not. And, you know, sometimes you can obviously see someone who is viscerally angry, hateful, um, just wants to fight, just wants to be an antagonist, um, is, is there to do nothing but extend their, their negative energy onto the world because they need to project in some way and, and make themselves feel like they have some sort of control. When in reality, they have complete control, but they are not willing to accept that. They want to blame others. So those people I really cannot have a conversation with, but sometimes it's a shot over the bow. It's, hey, I'm trying to have a conversation with you. Let's leave right. the negativity at the door and let's talk about this openly. Agr agreement or disagreement doesn't need to happen. It's an understanding of why someone thinks the way that they do, where they've been, what their experiences are that formulate that opinion, and then you can start to discuss things and give them a different perspective in a kind and more palatable way. But some people just aren't open to that, and you do have to walk away. And sometimes it's family right. that you have to walk totally. away from. Sadly, and you yeah. can't feel guilty about that because you have to put your positive energy into the world and affect change where you can and be good with it, not fight to change somebody who is um, completely obstinate and obtuse. Beautiful. Well, I think you just summed up Chris's journey right there. I mean, I'm reading. Let me ask you something, too. And we're going to dig into this book, but I want to talk about the accident you had real quick. 
the accident you have, I know it had a huge effect on you. The thing, do you think that accident was the catalyst to everything that came afterwards? In other words, to change the whole trajectory of your life? Or were you in a place where you were always going to end up out of your marriage, ending your marriage, ending up exploring your sexual horizons, ending up kind of going out on your own and leaving engineering and starting out? Like, were you already in a place where you were going to do that at some point? Or did that accident really put you down a road you would have never gone down otherwise? That's a beautiful question. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I never really thought about it this way, but you know, the thing that set it up that I, that I just put together is I went to, uh, I had a, a session with a tantrika. So this is like, you know, uh, a, a woman who teaches, uh, you know, like embodiment, the arts of embodiment, sort of like, uh, or she, the way she describes herself as a, a sex therapist that doesn't do a lot of talking. So uh, right. I had a session with her and on the way out the door, I said, you know, I still feel so fucking sad, you know, like I, you know, I feel better, but I just feel so sad, you know? And she says, well, if you ever want to know how sad you are, find a quiet place, you know, when nobody's home and just sit down and put your forehead in your hands and, and imagine yourself falling down a well and the speed and the depth you fall down in the well is how sad you are. I read and, that oh, in your book and I actually did dude. that. And you know what happened? What? I went down about 10 feet and landed on a trampoline. And then I was just bouncing. Well, there you go. Then, you, then you're not sad. But yeah, but me, I'm not moving I mean, either. Well, you know, but, but it, it, it worked, though, didn't it? It was a gauge. I guess. I mean, what does that say about me if I'm just bouncing up and down? Well, then you, you can ask yourself that, you know, in your own private time. But the, the experience I had was it was a free-for-all. It was, I was free-falling into the abyss of just, like, there was no bottom. It was like, I usually grab myself by the back of the neck and pull myself out, but I just let myself go, and it was like, I just was like, you know, I am not going to live my life like this. That whatever this is that I'm in right now is like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. It's not, I can't. You know, so, like, six months goes by. My best friend commits suicide with, you know, yeah. with a salt rifle in his mouth. My dad dies. And then I smashed my face into the ground, you know, on my one wheeled motorcycle. And, you know, the roll up even to that was like, you know, we were in, you know, couples counseling and, and, you know, the assignment was, well, you guys need to go out more often or you make time in the evening to like be together. So this one night, my daughter's, you know, out of her friends and I go to my wife and I say, Hey, you know, you want to light some candles tonight and just like hang out. And, and she's like, well, well, tonight's desperate housewives. And like, Oh, all right. What about desperate husbands? (laughs) he's gonna watch tv you know like all right well i'm gonna go watch i'm gonna go ride my one wheel motorcycle and i'm riding around like you know people yell at me from the side of the street hey rhino man you know and and the gyro comes unplugged and it like hammers me into the ground and i broke my jaw two places and broke both my hands and roll over and like spitting out teeth and blood but like that's the place where you smash into the you know the tree and everything fucking comes to a stop you know, if that's like the not next, the universe trying to send you a signal, dude, I don't like exactly like this whole thing can't go on the way it has. There's no amount of heavy lifting, like, you know, smearing peanut butter out as thin as you can, or, you know, standing in some box that I actually created, you know, that it's going to somehow make somebody else happy. It's it, it just stopped. Like, like, but you well, do a stopped. masterful job 
of conveying your struggle in this book. This is one of the reasons I love this book because it wasn't like this happened and I left my wife. It was like I left her, but I was unsure. And I was like, all I have to do is turn around and walk back. I could take the mattress home. We need a mattress anyways. And you're making all these justifications that we all do when we're either A, afraid, or B, we really want to do something we shouldn't do, so we justify it. So I love in the book how you kind of put uh, put the reader in the mind frame that you're in that like, okay, at, at the end of the day, he's the hero, you know, like in the classic Western movie, he's the hero, he wins the gunfight, he gets the girl, but you never see John Wayne riddled with self-doubt. You don't know what's going on in fucking John Wayne's just like a machine. I will beat right. the bad guy. I will win the day. But you can really see the turmoil that's that you're struggling with going down this path. And I think that's what makes the book a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Fern, I'm sorry. I know you want to get in here. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, that's that's also something that I related to very closely. There were some things um, that gave me a lot of affirmation in this book as far as the internal struggle um, and trying to find that path and truly, like, truly letting go, not just telling yourself, okay, I'm really going to cut out toxicity. I'm really going to cut out negativity. I'm really going to find myself. I'm really going to understand why. I'm really going to see the beauty in things and actually doing it because it's one thing to tell yourself that. Some days are hard, man. Like everybody has those days where you want to just really be positive, but it's hard. And through a lot of my experiences in my life, like you would think that any single one of them would have would have kind of cemented that feeling but watching you know what happened with my dad and the loss of my father really put a new perspective on and it wasn't just that you kind of went through a secession like chris was just talking about he went through with his marriage his dad his friend committed suicide his wife on his rhino like you it it wasn't just one thing you went through a year of total chaos and hell fern Oh, it's been almost two years, and it's still ongoing. You know, I still don't know where Mama Joe's going to land. Um, but the the thing is, is that it's it's through those times when it's really dark that you find yourself what you think you can handle becomes so far in the rearview mirror that you're proud of yourself. You're like, holy shit! If I had thought at my point where I said I cannot handle anymore, if I had thought that I would have to deal with this. I would have been like, there's no fucking way. I'm just right. not going to do it. But you just, you grit and you get down. And, you know, it was sleeping on couches and, you know, it was takeout food. And it was finding one positive thing every single day to bring into that hospital room to make someone right. smile or to keep them fighting. It was finding some time for yourself to take a walk for an hour, clear your head. I went to Fenway. I went to the ALCS game in Boston this year. Just because I was like, fuck it, I'm going to get out of this hospital for a few hours. It was a mile away, so I went to an ALCS playoff game, a championship game. Nice. Sure. Why not? You have to do that for yourself, even when you're struggling so hard and you're looking and you're going, I don't think I can do it. You get your ass up, you find the positive in life, you find the beauty in life, and you do it. And sometimes it takes... One experience, it could be drastically horrible. It could be something simple, but everyone has to find it for themselves and do it for themselves and focus on making themselves happy for the sake of happiness, just to nice. be fulfilled and be happy. And that's, that's what I learned, and that's what was reaffirmed in this book. Like, I saw that journey. Like, I saw that 
self-realization and that actualization and living life to live, not just to exist. And I totally connected with that, and I loved it. Thank you. Well, what, what story stuck out? Like, the, give me one like, takeaway. Um, you know, yeah, the most beautiful part of that book to me um, was your girlfriend that you walked away from. When you both said, right. you know what, we both need to go on our own separate journeys. And you lit candles and you, you know, you've really communicated with each other. And that was a beautiful thing to understand someone like that and to really be in tune and communicate like that and to have that depth of emotion and connection and understanding without judgment and be able to walk away and say, you know what, it's a beautiful thing and I love them, but I'm still on my journey. And I always have this and I will always have this. And that was, that was really beautiful to me. That was my favorite part of your book. Mm, thank you. That's awesome. See, and my takeaway, just to kind yeah, of show you how good. different people are wired, was about your dad and the silent rage he lived in. And the whole time I'm, I'm reading this story about the silent rage and how, like, it was kind of like other people holding him back or other people kind of like being roadblocks to where he wants to get. And I was like, man, that is so representative of what's going on today in certain circles. Like it just really before I think it was just kind of like you just sat and drank your whiskey and just shut up. But with the Internet now, you can just kind of let all that rage out on the Internet and you can't go anywhere on the Internet. And I, you know, this is my new thing that I'm always pissed off about. I try to get away from politics now. Me and Fern used to be steep in the political world. And now I'll go, oh, the new Punisher's out. Let me go check out the new Punisher. And I'll read the reviews and the comment thread's like, screw that show, libtard show, uh, the band Netflix boycott, because the villain on the show happens to be an alt-right terrorist. Or I'll go on Mad Magazine and everybody's like, I'm go, oh, I wonder if I should get another subscription. And I look at the comments and they're flipping out on Mad. Or the other day they had this really cute um, slideshow of actors when they were old yeah, or when they were young, I guess, when they were really young and now standing side oh, by side Photoshop. Right. right. And it's like Tom Hanks. It's like, oh, it's Wilson, ha, ha. Jennifer Anderson, like, you know, a bunch of friends joke. Then you get to Robert De Niro. It's like, screw you, lived hard. Yeah, you should die. And people on the thread are like, dude, this is not the place for politics. Well, he started it. He should keep his mouth shut. And this is what really drives me insane. And what I fixate on, and probably is what very negative to my soul, is that I don't even feel like I can escape it now, Chris. I I used to go on political threads and see all that stuff, and I was like, all right, let me try to move away from that. But I just feel like it's everywhere, because now I feel like the silent rage can just be poured into your keyboard with anonymity, and there's no consequence. Well, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's filters for that, and there's blocking people and all that stuff. But to me, like politics is irrelevant. It's really, it's, it's breathing its last gasp of, of you know, I hope in so. a dying cycle. And, and the rage you know, that, that's, that's coming up is the last gasping rage of people trying to hold on to something that, that they can hijack you know, for their own benefit. But you know, without politics, you know, we actually have to go and actually build shit. You know, we actually have to go and work together. Politics is just this divisive wedge that, that separates everybody. It's been stacked that way forever. Like that's, right. that's what capitalism and you know, colonization, you know, if you're not churning through the earth and extracting resources from the earth, you know, nothing's happening where the culture that we need to start building is where people get rewarded for actually putting things back in the earth. And that's, you know, where the value comes from. 
And you mix in manifest destiny, and that makes us like the worst kind of capitalism. Because well, now yeah. we feel entitled to it. Like God like exactly. purposely put America aside to rule over the rest of the planet. And that's why we're policing yeah. the whole planet, because of that mentality that's embedded on our DNA. Totally. Well, that's it's too bad, but you know, it's that's it's it's came up for a reason. You know, the patriarchy is just basically to you know uh, keep track of ownership of property and things, and how to marginalize women so women you know don't peacock anymore, and you know how to assign uh, emotionality to women and call them weak, and then make sure that emotionality doesn't show up. You know, which is actually a component of asking why. And once you start asking why, now you're asking like threatening the patriarchy. So there's this whole squelching thread that all needs to get killed, you know, that nobody realizes they're sitting in. You know, that's it's a tragedy. That's very apt and fern. We've had these conversations where I've been like, all right, I talk to these guys and they hate minorities and they hate Muslims and they hate atheists and they, you know, they hate teachers. They hate like this laundry list. And then it got to a point where they had problems with women and millennials. And I'm like, well, who's left? Once you start attacking your wife and your kids, who, like who's left on the slate for you to take your rage out on? Exactly. And that goes back to part of the book as well that you were talking about, um, about your dad, Chris, and how it was a fear of inclusiveness. And I mean, I see that like did something Nick and I discussed even even before the show. Wouldn't we uh, yesterday or the day before? I think we talked about that, Nick. Perhaps, but either way, you know, it, it's a I'm fear trying to of, think back to what exactly you're referring to. Sorry. Yeah, well, well our, our conversation... It's the fear of inclusiveness and worrying about being rejected and not being accepted. And, you know, you're finding, as you say, politics is becoming kind of somewhat of a a wash or antiquated because there are so many people coming out now saying, no, you know, this is not the same meritocracy that we had. This is not the same homogenous environment that we had. We have all these different people who are all these different things and we are all different and we should celebrate that because we can't learn if we don't understand something that's quote unquote different. Different doesn't mean bad, but I think too many people see as children that different is bad and that's the bullying mentality. You see the bully, you are the bully or you're the victim of the bully. And you make that right. decision, like you said earlier, to either, you know, step up into that power role or follow your own path. And too many people are fearful if they don't have power and they don't control other people and they don't enforce their will onto others, oh. whether it be through, you know, physical things or emotional things, that they aren't as much of a person that they won't be accepted. And it is a sad thing. But yeah, it has changed the political landscape. And you saw it right after the election with the protests. You saw it with the Women's March. You saw it after the Parkland shooting. You see these people standing up yeah. and saying, no, more. Oh, no, we're not having this. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's what's so fascinating about drag queens. I mean, drag queens take the symbolism that men foist on women. To, you know, so, you know, here's how you be attractive to us. They take that and they turn it around backwards, turn it up to a 10 and play it back on society as a rebellious front against, you know, like who the fuck do you think you are? So and drag queens are like these heroic rebels that are actually, to me, more masculine than most dudes. And I agree with that. And let me tell you, man, the term punk rock doesn't just pertain to like Black Flag and Rancid. The founding fathers were punk rock. 
drag queens are punk rock. When I went to punk totally. shows back in the 90s and watched the Vandals and their snarky, sarcastic, satirical outlook of the world and the Vindictives and bands like that, there right, is something like very... In Cambodia? I mean, fuck yeah. Right. Exactly. Jello Boyoffer, absolutely. Henry Rollins, absolutely. Totally. There is something completely punk about that. Look, you're from the punk world, right? And yeah. you have a very strong DIY, for you kids who don't know what that means, do it yourself, um, blaze your own trail, rebellious, rebellious type work ethic. How much Thank of you. that is from your punk rock roots? Do you think your punk rock roots kind of, you know, like you gritted your teeth on those punk rock roots, that's where you get kind of like, I'm just going to blaze my own trail, man. I'm just going to start up my own company. These are great questions. These are great questions because like post high school, I was always in some band playing some top 40s, you know, like cover songs and stuff. And uh, and I built a little recording studio in this bomb shelter, you know, factory. And and then all of a sudden these like these guys start showing up to practice, these punk rock dudes. And and they started like like inspiring like oh my fucking god these guys are cracking me up i mean they were literally like writing their own songs to these you know these guitar riffs and like it was like one of them was like what was it oh uh stink like fish you make me mad stink like fish you make me sad you know and then there was uh riding the potty train and like i was just we get to make our own words up what you know and and pretty soon I was like hooked, like, oh, we get to do, oh, I, oh, fuck yes, you know, like, get out of the fucking way. And I joined their band, learned how to play bass guitar. And like, pretty soon I'm standing on stage, like watching the mosh pit go on and like, just, just having a blast, you know, the whole cultural immersion. I mean, I, I can remember one time we opened up for this band and then, uh, and then like the, the next level up band actually showed up and everybody's like, oh dude, those dudes are here. And like, I'm on the dance floor after we played and one of these guys slammed into me and it was like the most euphoric like uh-huh. validation and in my entire fucking life like oh my god that dude just slammed me i feel like like i gotta like cry you know that but that's what i was in I and mean, can talk about a trajectory that's like i'm gonna do the fuck i want to do from here on out yeah, it's encoded on our DNA. And let me tell you something, man. Power, especially corrupt power, it fucking hates being defied. It hates being challenged. It hates yep. uh, being told no. But let me tell you what it hates the most. Being mocked and being satirized. Power Ooh. hates that shit, dude. So yeah. when you're in a punk band, like we used to write songs. I posted one today, Trash TV or Office Politics, like even Steven has done. Like when you're writing songs about the status quo and the power structure, but you're doing it in a tongue-in-cheek way that makes them seem absurd and ridiculous, they hate right. that more than if you just like walked up to them and punched them in the face. That, <laughs> that's worse to their ego than being punched in the fucking mouth. I agree, because it was so well done. They can't, actually, they might, they're trying not to laugh. Yeah, and it, but they realize, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the comedic, um equivalent of like pointing at their penis and laughing i mean it just humiliates them so much and it just brings them down a notch but in the same time it also does something else they hate it humanizes them and i think once Mm. you get to a level of corruption you hate being humanized i mean throw this over to fern for her perspective that's a really good point yeah they they want to be the holier respected than thou you know icon like, yeah, they, for me, they like, can't be among the rabble, or they're no better than the rabble, so therefore they don't get to control the rabble. Totally. Yeah, like, what, what I, 
you look at the dominance hierarchy we have in our politics right now and the metric of how where's your position right so where's my position in the hierarchy well it's evaluated on how much corruption per dollar and how stupid am i so the higher you rise Amen. is like the, the the corruption for dollar I can allocate and the and the level of my stupidity where I won't challenge the status quo at all. And you look at the very top, the very top is ultimate corruption and ultimate stupidity. Yeah, and this isn't just yeah. the Trump thing. You go through history and look at some of these banana republics and they're right. absurd. And you look at them and you're like, God, this just seems like a really bad, like um Doctor Strange love. Type right. thing going on, you and know? Legit. Right. Fern? Doesn't that also lend itself, though, to a self imposed sense of superiority coupled with a lack of, um, uh, you know, any kind of accountability? So oh, here you have somebody, yeah, you know, it, absolute. It's, it's, it's self-imposed and you think you're superior and you elevate yourself to a certain level, therefore you don't have to play by the rules while, think, while simultaneously pointing the finger and saying, why aren't you playing by the rules? Like, this, there's no lack of accountability, and that's, you know, that's something that I really drew from this book as well. And, uh, you know, it, it was amazing because you had this self-awareness throughout this entire journey. It seems to me, and I don't know if this is true, but it seems to me like you've always been very self-aware with an engineer brain, which is unique and, and different and something that I haven't, haven't seen. Um, Thank you. But yet you also, you also have this sense of self-control too. And what I want to know is the, the accountability seems natural, at least the way it comes across, but the self-control, is that something that you've always had or is that something that you had to learn because I think accountability, self-reflection, and also control over yourself and your actions and your words is also important. And it seems like that might have been a developmental thing um, over the years versus something that came, you know, instinctively. That, and that's a great question too. Like, and it, and it literally wasn't until like my mid forties when that, I started making contact with that, that, that self-control. And where it came from was I used to be an overachiever you know, like in my professional world, I was like, I didn't have the courage to go to my boss and say, hey, I heard this, uh, there's a new engineering manager position opening up, you know, like, am I a candidate? I couldn't say that. I would just overachieve to the point where everybody else was like, dude, just fucking play in the sandbox, you know, and to a point where they would have to pick me. You know, it was just so like, ridiculously, you know, controlling that I inherited from my dad. But you know why that is, though, right? Just right. to interject real quick, it's because we, me it. and you, both come from conservative households, yet right. we found punk rock. So we're in this DIY culture, and it's kind of different from the punk kids that are like the crusty kids who grew up in horrible homes, and they're just like breaking bottles over their head and smoking crack or whatever. Like we came right. from conservative households that had that John Wayne, pull yourself up by your bootstrap totally. type of mentality, but then you mix it into this elixir with punk rock rebellious fight against the status quo. We don't need a fucking record label. We'll make our own record label. We don't need like a, a label to put our album out. We don't need some promoter to put our shows together. We'll do it ourselves. And I think that's why we're the kind of humans we are is because of that amalgamation of conservative roots and punk rock roots mixed together. 
Yeah, so beautiful, beautiful tie-in. Because like, so what shifted it for me was I'm in the middle of this. Like, I come home for you know, and at dinner I'm like railing at my boss because he's such an asshole and an idiot. My wife is like, just shut up, you know. And then, and then I started going to these snuggle parties, right? So I started going to these like Portland snuggle parties where there's this whole little exercise at the beginning where you have to talk about consent, right? So you have to talk about, well, you know, do I have permission to touch you here? You know, and, and is it okay if this happens or, or if that's not okay, then suggest something different. And I'm realizing, oh my God, there's actually something called consent. I had no idea there was even such a thing. Wow. That's a mindfuck. As consent at all. And then what I realized in the middle of that was like, oh, I can actually ask for what I want, shut up, and let somebody else have an experience with my question without trying to hustle it. And that, that just turned this whole light on, like, oh, my fucking God, I've been terrified to ask for what I want and shut up. Wait, let me and that ask comes you. down to respect, too, though. That's, That's respecting right. another human individual yes. and their totally. view on it and had their feelings on it. And that's another thing that was so great about that book was that it's just the respect for another human being existing in their space. I respect the space that you have on in this world. And right. to ask that permission was mind-blowing to me because so many people take what they want for granted and just have the expectation that they should have what they want despite the other person's feelings. They don't think about what they want. They think about what you want. So that yeah, was, that was mind-blowing and beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah, well, but this is kind of like how, like I'm listening to this, like my grandmother used to say, you can't see the picture if you're inside the frame. So if you have no context, if you have no perspective, how do you get this perspective out to the people who are very narrow, very closed off, very angry? I mean, I just feel like there's this episode of The Simpsons where he meets this gay guy. And this was, God, this episode's probably close to 20 years old. And at the end of the episode, the gay dude like um, rescues him from reindeer that are attacking Homer. And Homer's like, you know what? I just found out today that gay guys are okay. And the gay guy was like... <laughs> If I could just introduce you to the other 40 million gay guys, we might make some progress. And I feel like that's how like we have to do it, right? We have to go one by right. one and sit these yes. people down and go, look, dude, yeah. the Me Too movement is not a personal attack on your masculinity. The Gillette commercial no. is not a personal attack on your masculinity. No. People wanting no. to, to – like um, same-sex marriage is not a personal attack on your value system. But no. how do you matter. do that? Yeah, all lives matter, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the rebuttal. So, like, mm -hmm. nobody has time to sit down and talk to 30 or 40 million people one by one. So how do you create those movements, Chris? Well, I, yeah, I think you're hitting on it. It's just, it's just, you just have to model it, you know? I mean, I, here's, here's a thing that I've gotten really good at lately is I've gotten really, like, clear with my no. You know, I get, I am so clear with my no and not worrying about hurting somebody else's feelings that I can get right up and smear myself all over the thing I'm curious about. And the minute it feels like it wants from something from me or it's, it's, it's pulling on me, it's just no, you know, and I'm, excuse me, but I'm going to pop out, you know, and not communicate and then silence, you know. But so doesn't that take I'm a modeling, certain amount of selfishness though? Yes, because what I'm modeling for them, what I'm, I'm holding a mirror up to them and say, my silence is a mirror to let you look at everything from now on is your own story. And they can't figure mm. out how I have the right to actually value myself so high 
that I can protect myself at their expense. But after a while, they realize, oh, I fucking admire that dude. That dude actually knows how to like create his own inner peace. Huh. You know, and it'll cycle back around. Like I'll run into people two months later and they're like, you know what, dude, thank you. Cause I had to face my own shit for the first time because I was trying to offload it on you so fucking hard. So I didn't have to actually feel the wow. pain of it, but you know, yep. you did me a favor. That's kind of like that's... the Sarah Silverman story, right? Where the guy went insane on her on Twitter and she's like, Hey man, you sound like you're in a lot of pain. What's wrong with you? And then he, he was like, I right. have back issues and I'm unemployed and they became good friends. And she totally diffused that angry, toxic situation. Right. With silence, you got to go through a period of silence. And if they're willing, you know, to step out the other side and actually not be all butthurt about it, that's modeling a certain amount of transformation, you know, but you can't speak at people unless they're ready to have an experience with the, the, the knowledge. So it's frustrating because we'd all like to stand up with a big mic- microphone and a megaphone and a and stadium full of people and feel the visceral, like rock star feeling of like, oh, I'm going to help all these people get better. It doesn't happen that way. You know, I mean, it, it really comes down to boundaries, right? And boundaries right. is a very difficult world, word for people to understand because when they think of boundaries, they think of walls. They think of absolutes. And it's not necessarily an absolute um, unless you make it one. Like, unless you surround yourself with boundaries so tight that you remove yourself from good experiences as well as bad, then it's dangerous. But if you uh, clearly state your boundaries and say, you know what, this is what I'm comfortable with, this is how I feel, I'm willing to have a discussion about it, and let's talk openly about it. But most people perceive boundaries or the the no, which I am learning now at 40 years old, I am just now learning that word. Um, But it is to express, hey, I'm not comfortable with that, not just a solid no, but hey, I'm not comfortable with that, this is how I feel, and this is why. And we can talk about it and maybe the way I perceive what you're saying to me is different than what you intend. So let's have a conversation about it. It's very different Great. than just putting up walls and shutting yourself down. And I think people hear that word and they think in the absolutes and they don't understand that there's room for conversation and experiences without putting yourself in a bad situation, without making yourself feel too vulnerable too quickly, but also not closing yourself off from all the positive experiences and the joy and the happiness that you could experience too. So that right. that's very important. But they see that as Definitely. a personal attack or encroachment on their ego, I think. Because well, they're entitled. Well, totally. Yeah, the entitled thing is just like, I'm, and I already believe I, I get to have this, and I'm just impatient while you figure out I get to have this. I mean, you know, but right. for what, you're, what you're talking about is, is trying to stay in a, a place of curiosity. So if you're like feeling a conflict with somebody, a way to open something up is simply, hey, you know, can I just, I, I just need to clarify something because I'm confused. You know, like when you said this, did you mean this or did you mean this? Right. And let them answer. You know, like, oh, dude, it was like. Totally I wish there was more of that on Facebook. Done. I you don't know, know how many I mean, times I've been misunderstood as saying the exact opposite. Right. Trying to say. Exactly. Just gather some data because, you know, it's people who aren't ah, willing good. to make choices. And I mean, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, so this please. Is, this is the woman who we I ended up having a like, part ways with, you know, like the most beautiful, like open hearted relationship I ever had in my entire life. Yes. She's. She sat me down in the very beginning. She says, dude, you know, like, cause I was being a little bit emotional about some like triggered thing that happened for me. And she goes, dude, you know what? I just don't know if I can do all these emotions. And I respect your experience where, 
you know, you have, maybe you have to feel yourself in a certain way to have these big kind of conversations, but it's not for me. Like my process is I just make choices, you know? So what I'm doing is I will, you know, volunteer what makes me feel more comfortable to you. You can do anything you fucking want with that information. And then I watch what you do and what you do, you know, offers me data. And then I take the data and I make yeah. choices. But that's you almost know, Mr. Choice. Spock, though. That's so evolved. I'm just trying to imagine some guy who's, who's like never but, left his own town and never well, has interacted with any culture or type of people that were different than him, being able to get to a place where he goes, okay, I'm not taking that personally. I'm not going to rage against that. That's your experience. Right. This is my experience. Let's evaluate and see where we move from here. I'm just trying to imagine this well, big swath in this country being able to do that. It, it'd be huge. And, and, the, and the beauty that she sent summed it up with, she says, look, my choices will change your reality way faster than me trying to manipulate you into doing what I want you to do. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. And right. to offer up insight to say, may I offer you some insight instead of trying to Thank tell you. you, well, if I were you, I would do this. Well, I see your Thank situation, you. and this is how I see it, and then you can take that information and do with it what you will. That also hit me very strong. You know, may right. I offer you some insight? Like, that's, right. that is productive, positive, open forward-moving, progressive communication. That is truth, right. and that's where people right. need to be. Mm. Seriously. That is like, Are you thought. conscious? You know, it's not like even that you're doing it wrong. Are you conscious of the way you do that? Because it's your unconsciousness of that thing you do that scares me, not the thing you do. Right. All yeah. right, let me, let me, let me switch gears insight. here. Right. Let me jump in and switch gears here because we're at the hour mark. Right. And I got a couple like kind of logistical things I want to talk about the book with you about. Right. When, when I dug into this book, especially the first few chapters, I have never run the spectrum of emotions with a guest book that I ran with yours. I mean, I went from being intrigued and captivated to being fucking turned on to being mortified at one point and physically ill in one wow. chapter. All in a few chapters, and if I'm experiencing that as a reader, a, a book this intense and this brutally honest, this had to take a lot out of me. This had to be an, been an exhausting experience, because just writing a normal book is exhausting. Oh, well, thank you. Well, the, what the experience was, was I'm living with you know my girlfriend at, at the time, and I kept telling her these, these stories, and she's like, dude, these are great stories. Like, these Dudes need to know these stories. There's a nugget in each one of these stories. Did you been telling these stories your entire life? Like, or like, you need to write a book. I'm like, uh, all right, you know. So I like sat down and pounded out fifty thousand words in like a month and a half in wow. a little table in her bedroom. And then we started splitting up and like, the, you know, everything started coming apart. And I ended up renting this little room in a house. And so I had this little TV table, and I'm like pounding it out in this TV table. And then eventually I said, fuck, I, I, this is important. This is, this is what I'm doing right now. So I looked, I took 40 grand out of my retirement account and rented this big apartment on this like, you know, main drag, like, and just set up shop. I said, all right, this is my hideaway. And I set up this, and it had this like little writing room, sunroom in the back, which was perfect. And I just sat there for days and days and months and months and months. And then what, what the trip was is, so we broke up, you know, and then we got back together and she moved into my apartment for like three or four months. Oh, and then God. we sat on my couch 
with two monitors and she scrubbed every fucking word in my book. Dude, you have no idea what it's like to have a ther- a Jungian therapist sitting next to you going like, uh-huh. if you say that, women are going to come after you with pitchforks. Or like, what did you really mean? You know, that's the nugget right there, you know, in that story. Yeah, like, I would end up in a fetal the moment, position you know? with my thumb in my mouth crying. Oh, my God. And, and the funniest part was like, How fortunate. Feel like me. Yeah, so she's feeling me getting all, you know, tense and like, oh, my fucking God. And then she would like sit back on the couch, lift her skirt up and show me, you know, her private parts. And I'm like, oh, fucking thank you. And we just like pounded out for like 15, 20 minutes, put a new stain in the couch and and get back to work. I mean, that was (laughs) the role. Great. <laughs> but that's what this book is, though. It runs the gamut of emotions. I mean, this book is like one part bibliography, one part like self-help, and then one part like the old school punk rock style spoken word. And I think it's Thank very you. representative of life where life is a mixed bag. I mean, unless you're living just a very like I go to the same job every day and eat the same meal every night and watch the same TV shows Nick at Night like fucking Andy Griffith yeah. and Mayberry RFD before I go to sleep. Like unless you're living like that, life runs the gamut. There are there's no rule Dude. book. There's no no like so I feel this book was very representative of that. Thank you. Yeah, you just keep on like, oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna go do that and see if what's gonna happen. And you're like half into it, and you're like. Holy shit, you know, like at my 60th birthday party, like I, I, I had this birthday party, I called it Chris's Tits Out Birthday. And I invited all my friends and all the women had to package their tits up in some way, you know, that was like, and, and present them. And so I'm like making my way through this party and everybody showed up and like the guys showed up in corsets and like boosties and stuff. And, and I wanted to, and these guys literally take me and tie me to a chair in the middle of the of living room of my apartment. So people could like sit down and like appreciate how much they enjoy me one at a time. And so I'm having this experience with me tied to this chair with one after another, my friends like, dude, I fucking love you, you know? And then right towards the end, these two women kneel down in front of me with a little jar of coconut oil and unzip my G string and take my cock out and get it hard. And then bring out this cake, this birthday cake in the shape of a woman. And I got the tit fuck my birthday cake on my 60th birthday party. Wow. How many... How many people have said that sentence before? In, in, in the annals of human One. fucking history. One. <laughs> how many people is, my God, the life you've led. Let me ask you this, too, because you're being very provocative. You're provocative in the book. One, is there anything you felt like you had to leave out? I know you've changed some names. And two, when you talk about your daughter, are you like, how, what's the experience of her? Did she read the book? And what's the experience of her reading the book and reading about some of these sexual adventures and experiences that you've had? Well, you know, well, I'll start with my daughter. She, she hasn't read the book, but she's uh, helped me edit a couple of articles that I've written. And we share a really close bond on like, you know, she, she does costumes for drag queens. That's her thing. And there is a beautiful story about how she made it to New York. I took her out there basically gave her 10 grand, got her all set up. And she's just totally rocking it from finding, you know, like gigs off Craigslist. And like, it's, it's amazing. So we have this camaraderie that's, it's, it's awesome. You know, so uh, we're good, you know, but she said to me, she's like, all right, daddy, like we're not going to a rave party together and we're not going to talk about somebody's dildo collection. But other than that, you know, we're good. So there's that. But, um, you know, stuff that I left out of the book, you know, there was, there were some horrifying experiences I went through. There were, you know, after I left my marriage, I dated this woman for three years and total narcissist gaslighter, 
I ended up getting stalked and, you know, horrified. And it was so, oh, yeah. like, crazy. I hinted at it in the book, but it was so insane. Did you leave it and out of the book because you felt like it wasn't productive to the reader? To... It wasn't productive for anybody. It wasn't gotcha. productive to even re replay it or, yeah. or even start to even touch it. But but the takeaway was it really was the biggest lesson for me because it was getting clear with my no. I mean, it was like when you shut the door tight, you shut the door tight. There is no, well, I'll make it, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings too bad. Or like, I'll leave this little crack open. You know, if you really feel destabilized, it's okay if you'd like text me in the middle of fucking my new girlfriend. No, no, it's, it's done. So I, that's there's I'm a lesson done. to be learned there, right, Fern? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. And, you know, I don't talk about it much on air, but I was in a relationship that was very, very toxic, very narcissistic, very controlling, very, right. you know, gaslighting, gas the love bomb. The, I mean, I took two minutes in the bathroom instead of one one time, and it became a, a huge blowout. There was a weapon pulled out on my birthday. It was just, it, there's a whole myriad of right. things that I can go into. But that was, it was so toxic, but it, I was in a cycle to where, I didn't feel like I deserved any better. And the problem was with me, not with him. I mean, he's got his own right. issues and he oh, has to own that. So did I. But I that that, yeah, I exactly. And, and, and the thing is, is it, it becomes a cycle. It becomes um, comfort. It becomes the normal. It becomes what, it's just what life is, so you just have to deal with it. And for me, it was a savior complex. I can help. I can change this person. Totally. I see the oh good God. that's there, so I can hang on to that thread of good, because when it's add good, value. it's so, so good, and oh. add value and erase, you know, have the bad go at bay little by little, and I can show them yeah. love, and it just didn't work. But the biggest yeah. step I took was, putting up those boundaries and saying, you know what, no more. My life has changed and this is how my life is going to be. And you can either choose nice. to be a part of that or you can choose not to. But I accept yep. nothing less but happiness from now on. I'm tired of getting sucked emotionally and physically dry by somebody who doesn't respect me. How can you hurt me so badly and then expect me to give my body to you and be 100% no in touch with you. You know what I'm saying? Like how, it, no. how can you expect that? So I totally get that. And that's why that boundary issue was so important to me. And those narcissistic relationships, as heartful as they are, are such huge life lessons. And once you totally. learn it, you never yep. go back and you're so much yeah, exactly. happier. Yeah. No, not going to do that anymore. I can't believe I did that. No, no. Even, even like, even the, the, the little hints are like, I get better at the little hints, right? Oh, that's kind of a red flag. I blew by that. And now it's like, oh, red flag. Like the minute somebody says, well, you said this and you said that. No, that energy. No, that I'm not going to touch. But then you yeah. talk about it and you say, did you mean this or did you mean that? Hey, I took it this way and, you know, let's talk about it. Or you get beat over the head with it. There's but a it's difference. it's crazy, no. though, right? In this yeah. age of texting, phone calls, you know, landlines kind of still exist, um, cell phones, internet, tweeting to people. Like, in this age of global communication, people are more misunderstood now than fucking ever. Totally, so it's kind of totally. like the ironic thumb in the eye from the universe that we have yeah. a million different avenues of... I mean, I remember, you know, I remember things from childhood, like my mom having to sit there with an egg timer. My dad would give her an egg timer to call my grandmother in Pennsylvania because long distance was like $3 a minute or something absurd like that. 
I remember rushing home to get your messages off the answering machine. Oh, I love because, that, dude. You know, or before the answer machine, rushing home because there was a phone. Like, you picked up the phone. I don't care if you yeah. were having sex. I don't care what you were doing. In 1985, you fucking picked up the phone. And now I call people, and they're like, oh, I don't check my messages, and I didn't see right. you called. And I was like, I have well, these 19 well, avenues of reaching you, and I can't reach you? <laughs> well, what happens, too, is like the, the texting gets dumbed down so low that you can't be misunderstood, and then the complexity of anything just turns into, like, porridge. Yeah, I, I always make the point, like, we're de-evolving as far as communication. In another 20 years, we're just going to be grunting and farting at each other, like fucking cavemen. Well, it's just emojicons. It's like, I love yeah, that. Like, all the emojicons right next to the Egyptian hieroglyphs. Like, wait a minute, have we gone backwards? <laughs> I feel like we've gone backwards. Through, through pixels, that message can be interpreted based on how the recipient is feeling that day. So you can message oh. someone and say, have a great day. And if they're right. having a bad day, they'll be like, oh, why are you so snarky wishing me to have a good day? <laughs> you know, like, what the hell, man? <laughs> it's totally interpretive. And also, yeah. there's this collective, like, power of the like button or power of the interaction. Fern, you remember when I deactivated my Facebook for a month, and oh, I yeah. went back, and a good friend of mine unfriended me, and I wrote her, and I was like, why did you unfriend me? And she's like, because you didn't tell me you're deactivating your account, so I thought you unfriended me. You owe me an apology. Well, oh, I'm God. supposed to reach out to 900 people and tell them individually in case they don't see my post that I'm deactivating my Facebook for a while? Or I won't like somebody's post, and they'll actually write me pissed off, and they'll be like, I put this post up. I just wrote about this the oh other day. God. And they're like, why oh did you God. like my post? And it's like... You put 900 people in a group message <laughs> telling them that you deactivated your account, and they're going to be pissed <laughs> off about that. So those are kind of people that you probably don't want to add back on. Just move on. <laughs> There's no winning. All right, let me kind of finish up with this. As somebody who, and Fern and Dee can both tell you, I am pathologically honest. I am incapable of telling a fucking lie. Not even I when don't playing know. poker. Like, his poker face is shit. He would not be able to lie about the TV show he saw last night. Because he always, he'll, he'll start to get that little smile in the corner of his mouth. And I'm like, yeah, nice one. Ni nice job. Yeah, I can't I even. I was just talking like, to Kenny about getting the game going. You should come down. I, I can't dude. even joke around. But Compared hey, to him, is, I am a master liar. Like, I could lie about anything. If I ever go on said. a spree where I just strangle hookers and leave them in back alleys, I'll be able to lie about that and nobody will even question me. Because I don't lie. So it would be so, like, out of character If for you me. could lie about it. If I could. But if I could find, I think pure self-preservation, maybe, would make me lie. In a situation, I hope I, I would. Maybe. Do. But anyways, I got way off track. As somebody like yourself, Chris, who's very honest, and we kind of touched on this with how your daughter takes any information if she had read the book, does your honesty get you in trouble? Do you find that your honesty and just being able to phrase things as this is what I need, this is what I want, this is where I'm at, do you find that gets you in trouble in relationships? You know what? The answer to that is there's a certain like inner peace that I walk around with, and that's what's intimidating to people because I can just stand there mm -hmm. And just be calm and everybody's jawing away at some other stuff. And, and I will say something so meaningful, like I've been tracking the entire freaking thing and I'll just drop in like, but you guys, you know, this, oh, oh, well, oh, you know, so that's kind of intimidating. But on the other side, my honesty is fucking sexy. I mean, I ha I've been in conversations with women and I'm just being 
myself and they're just like, I just want to have sex with you right now, dude. You know, it's, it opens this channel where women's bullshit filter gets to shut off for a little while. You know, because right. there's a lot of like headroom of women going, oh, I don't know, that was that was bullshit. He's hustling me there. You know, that you're you're running this little defense while you're trying to figure out if you like this guy or not. But if he's just so freaking honest and he can say it right away, or you're past the first time that he said something, you had to tell him actually no, dude. And he actually took it well, and we're still talking. Like, oh, nice. So now we can venture into this other part of the conversation where we can be two human beings. You know, it's fucking sexy. But it's hard to process in today's world, right? It reminds me of that episode of The Office where Kelly's dating Daryl and, you know, they cut to her where she's talking and she's like, Daryl says exactly what's on his mind all the time. What kind of sick game is he playing? Like sometimes people <laughs> don't know. And D, yeah. I mean, you get that. Like sometimes you'll get very upset and I'm just very stoic and like, okay, okay. And me being calm actually mm-hmm. makes you hate vacation, Nick. Vacation, Nick, is the worst. <laughs> Well, and it's not so much that, it's that we're so, like we, especially women, we are so used to men feeding us a line of bullshit that we've learned a lot of us to think around that to try to figure out what's underneath that. So for somebody to just come up and say exactly what's on their mind and only mean exactly the words they've chosen, (laughs) it's like a mind fuck in the worst way. We're like, wait a minute. You said you like my dress. But I never understood. How dare you say you like my dress? What are you really thinking? (laughs) I never understood the whole. I was ready for the backdraft, and you like totally let my saw my thing. Right. (laughs) Like, and Dee could tell you this from our first date. Like, I never got this whole like put your best face on for the first three months of your relationship because then the true you is going to come out and it's going to crash and burn. Like, you know, maybe it's going to crash and burn. Like when I go on a date, I kind of put my worst foot forward and I'm like, well, she can put up with this. And there's a second date. Now I'm fucking making cheese. Now I'm doing good. Like I I don't like, I don't approach a date like a job interview. I approach it where I'm just like, Hey, here's like our second date. I told D I was like, Hey, before we even start down a relationship road, like, I need you to know this is like this is the kind of sexual lifestyle that I have. And I'm I'm only now to a point where I'm only going to date women who will once in a while allow me to bring other women home. And if you if you're not down with that, that's totally cool. But I'm not hiding in the closet anymore where I wait three years into a relationship to express that need. Beautiful. And it's now, what's it's, that like for you, D? I mean, what was that like for you to, to like have a guy reveal himself before you started stating your wants and needs? Um, it was a little terrifying, but at the same time, exciting. Like in my case, it was one of those things that I'd always wanted to try, but had, but the only time I'd ever asked for it, I'd been shut down. So it was kind of like, hmm, so if you can ask for this and he's telling me, you know, I'm okay with this, but I'm not okay with this. So it was kind of like, okay, well, I obviously can't have this other thing that I thought about, but I can have half of the pizza, kind of, so to speak. So it was like, okay, you know, yeah, I still get to, I get to try this new thing and not feel bad about it, which is really, really freeing because now, I mean, we've been together, you know, 10 years this year. Now it's like, hey, I want to go get this thing and try this. And it's, it's a lot easier to ask for what I'm interested in because I feel like, well, he laid it out all, all out on the table. So it was just much easier nice. for me to be comfortable with who I was. And even now, like, 
if we meet somebody new and I'm like, wow, that's that's a person I would totally be interested in, then it's not like I have to feel guilty about that at all because for us, we know the emotional connection is there. So it's more he knows that that's purely a physical thing or like if I am you know, any, in any way romantically or physically attracted to anybody, I can just say, well, yeah, you know, I'm attracted to this person in this way, but it doesn't mean, you know, that I don't appreciate what we have. Like it just, it's very, it's very freeing and it's, it's very liberating nice. to be honest. It's fan awesome. fucking. We're on this journey separately, but together. Yeah. At the same time. It's really cool. So he modeled, he modeled a certain transparency. Like, yeah. look, I'm just going to reveal myself. I, I don't care, you know, and like whatever. But yeah. Chris, that and came from years of being in the closet of being like, Oh my God, if I tell like this person I've been with for two years that the things are starting to get routine, I'd love to bring another girl. Cause I, you know, I have a very, well, you don't know this, but I'm telling you, I have a very high sex drive. <laughs> He's Greek. And, <laughs> and at a certain point, there's things I want to do that can only be accommodated by two people. I'm not going to go into the mechanics of it, but right. why should I live the rest of my life without that experience? Yeah, you know, course, and there dude. there came a place where I came out of the closet. I said, "Look, I'm just going to tell people up front because why waste two years and have somebody go, oh, you're gross, get out of my life?' And then I just burned two years. Let me totally. just come out with totally who I am, day one, mm -hmm. and then there you can't go down. Like it can't like right. then it's just like you're day one. It's kind of like the first time I ever went on stage. Like I play bass for even Steven, but the first time I ever sang a song, I was like, man, I'm nervous. Let me go out and do this song." as insanely as I can, make the biggest ass of myself I can, that way every show after this will be easier instead yeah. of harder. It's like playing awesome. Zelda on level 20 when you first get it and then starting at level 1. So I'm rolling around on the floor dry humping a fucking blow-up doll, and I'm like, <laughs> I will never be more exposed than I am right now. So now awesome. every even Steven show I, I do after this... Guy. This guy is fucking awesome. Yeah. We'll be a cake. <laughs> That's how I tackle these things. Um, and it works. We well, said we were... We said we weren't going to go on an hour and a half, and here we are. So let's kind of start wrapping this up. You're such a pleasure to talk to, Chris. Um, Fern, you want to oh, get yeah. anything in here before we check out? No, I think what it, you know, I mean, that's pretty much this book you guys got to check out. Everybody listening, you have got to check this book out. You will pull something, if not everything, from this. If you this stay is open. like so esoterically connected even though it seems like between the engineering and the eroticism and the, the personal journey it's it might seem you know kind of in places like okay we're talking about this now we're talking about this it is so oh, connected jarring, like it is so dude. smooth it is so smooth and esoterically connected the with thing. the greater message it is amazing and as far Thank as you. you having trouble dating um because you are so honest like personally i look at it as such a respect factor that you honor another person again their place on this earth and their the space that they take up that right. is just as equal and valid and important and different and beautiful as you are to open yourself up like that is a vulnerability that this world needs it really needs to be beautiful and focus on the happy and and celebrate the, you know everybody that you meet for everything that they are and people would stop being so goddamn hateful i mean christ on a cracker everybody is trying to look for anything that they can to pick apart with anyone else because they want to make themselves feel more important or more yeah. elevated and it's a sad right. thing but i refuse to let that 
dampen my rose-colored glasses. I will keep them on, and I will continue to see beauty. And I hope all the listeners will dig into this book and really see the beauty of a self-journey and self-truth and respecting other human beings. I think what you did was beautiful. I loved it. Speaking of the book, Hard in Gear, An Engineer's Erotic Journey to um, Freedom, where can everybody find a book, Chris, online? You know, go to my go to my website. Just go to heartingear.com, and there's a link to my book right at the top. Go to Amazon, like just pages of stellar reviews. Watch some videos. There's a couple of videos of just you know on stage talking about my first uh, you know blowjob from a dude in this like feel out booth at this erotic ball. Uh, you know, having a prostate massage from this tantrika. It's it's pretty visceral and it'll give you a taste of what I'm up to. And, um, you know, that I'm, I don't know what I'm doing exactly with all this yet, but it's like constellating. So who knows? Well, and that's something I wanted to ask you too, before we get out of here, what are you working on now? Because I know kind of Rhino, is it in a rear view mirror? Is it on hiatus? Tell us where you're at. Uh, well, the one wheel motorcycle, we, we built 20 bikes in the United States and, uh, it, it just kind of got niche. So I just kind of let that go. I'm working on a new electric hydrofoil jet ski prototype. Nice. So, um, might j- drop that into the same company. Meantime, I'm doing, um, engineering work on the side and work on my new book. The working title is actually ask for what you want and shut up. So, um, I, we'll see where it goes with that. Do you feel like you're moving more into, let me kind of phrase it this way is better. I was in punk bands for years. I had a little indie record label. I had a little indie production company, Little Guy Productions. And as I grew out of wanting to play out shows every night and get drunk and feel exhausted every morning and drag myself to work, I started the music podcast so I can kind of impart my wisdom among the youth and say, hey, look, I know you guys are coming up 20, 30 years behind me. But here's what it was like tacking flyers up on telephone poles and before the right, internet and word of mouth. Right. Exactly. Let me paint this experience for you because I've lived it. And maybe maybe you'll gain something from it. Do you feel like you're in that self-help world now where you've gained you know, so many I, miles? I really, no, I, I thought about it, like teaching classes or trying to generate something. But, you know, I'm, I'm very strategic and I feel like my greatest strength is taking really complex, you know, motions or, you know, zeitgeist kind of like places in a culture and tightening it up and putting it like strategically somewhere where it will resonate. So I'm just watching really carefully, you know, the outside world. And I'm working on this article right now that I just want to, I'm just going to park it in this place where everybody goes, oh my fucking God, that, you know, so it's, it's, that's my greatest creative outlet right now is to just sort of not look at engineering and the complexity of machinery, but look at culture, you know, people, history, human evolution, and just like keep popping these little things into some place where they'll resonate just for my own personal entertainment. Do you feel like your greatest moments are yet to come? Oh, totally. I feel like something's going to happen. I almost, it's almost like this, I'm on a trajectory. There's, so I'm going to, like, walking on stage on my TED Talk, like, 15-minute warning, like, hey, can you just talk, you know, for three minutes? Somebody quit. And just some door's going to open. I'm going to step out, say, like, t- three paragraphs, and, like, everybody's going to turn right. That's, that's something. I just feel it. Right on. Um, Fern, bring us home. Yeah, I just wanted to say if I could offer some insight real quick. To take a page out of your book, by the way, that was a huge thing that I took away was to ask permission. Like, that is a fantastic thing. 
Um, But to offer some insight, where I'm at in my life, I'm struggling with the power of saying no and the power of taking control of my own happiness. So reading this book at this moment in my life really resonated with me and reaffirmed some things that were already there that I didn't have that emotional support for and taught me some new things that I can implement and really think about and move forward. And as far as the self-help arena, most people who go to self-help seminars or are looking for self-help are looking for it. And I think that would resonate with a lot of people. What you have to offer is really huge, really loving, and really positive. And I think it's a gift to the world. So I just want to leave Thank you God. with that to contemplate and, and see where that goes. I think that's, that's um, definitely a ben- it was a benefit to me personally. Um, and I think it could benefit other people. So I'm, I'm very appreciative that I was able to have that experience. And I'm very glad that you put that out right to on. the world to see because it's very Thank raw. You. Well, Beautiful. maybe self-help is the wrong word. Maybe it should be self-awareness counselor. Like maybe you're just it bringing might, you know, people I, to their own self-awareness. I, I want to do a one-man show. I just want to tell erotic stories on stage from this place of like really, really vulnerable, transparent, revealing myself, you know, and the, the, I, I just real quick, the, the last story that I want to tell in this, in this, I'm going to have this old guy telling a story about how we met his wife and the first date that they, they went on, she was so peaceful and she sits across from the table and he's like, I wonder what she's going to say. And she says to him, who do you think you are? And he's like, Oh fuck. How do I answer that question? <laughs> I, I could say anything. Wow. You know, this, this whole thing's going to live or die right here. And he says, curious. And she says, she says, about what? And he says, the meaning of life. And she says, well, then how are you going to find out the meaning of life? And he says, with somebody like you. Wow. That's a line. Well, not a line, but that's that's a situation. Yeah. Okay. So let's end with this. Do you think that you're gonna that we're all gonna live long enough that we have enough road in front of us where we're gonna see this society really turn an evolutionary corner, or do we still have oh, a totally. lot of fucking work to do? Oh no, it's it's all it's all gonna roll over in about I would give it five years, maybe five 10 years. years. It's, oh man, I hope yeah. you're right. I mean, really, the the whole government thing that's like starting to it just self the chaos is like self digesting itself. It's just. I've, I'm really positive. There's so many things that are changing. There's so every, all the indicators are up human, you know, mm-hmm. all the positive things. It, the, you know, if you really look at the numbers like pollution and greenhouse gas and like, you know, world health, like they're all way up in the positive, like we're making massive strides. So I'm really positive. Right. And meanwhile, I just saw a tweet come across my screen where Trump was talking about, um, what was the woman's name D who just announced her presidency? Do you remember Amy something or other? She's from the Midwest. Right. And it said, oh, Amy, so-and-so, I'll run it on a platform of global warning in a snowstorm. How stupid and pathetic. It's just like, man, does this ignorance well have a fucking bottom? I can't believe, like, geez. All right, but let's end on your positive note. Yes. Choose to focus on the positive, man. Choose to focus on the positive. It was just in my face. We're going to turn a corner here in five or ten years. So everybody stay strong. And, Chris, I want to thank you so much for the exhilarating um, 90-minute conversation here. We'll have to have you back and dig into even more. Yes. Pleasure is mine. So have a great day. Take care. 
Absolutely. All righty. We'll be back. Actually, we're going to be back in a week, right, with Brad Norman. Yes. Creator of the new Bullwinkle season. Um, well, the new season and a new series. I guess this is the second season starting up on Amazon. Woot. It'll be fun. All righty. And we're actually going to play one of Chris's songs as we take it home. Oh, no. to something I want to know. And so if I- 